Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. We apologise about the sound quality in parts of this episode. We had some issues with sound volume, but we promise it is so worth the listen. Hello, Lily. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got Lily Rowe here today, who is a midwife hypnobirthing instructor from The Woven Women, and she's going to chat to us all about hypnobirthing today and what on earth it is. So thank you so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what got you into this space? Definitely. I wanted to be a midwife from when I was really young, like 13, I think I realised, and I was just a weirdo in high school. (laughs) Like I was thinking about this last night and like when I was in year 10, I made a vase that was like this pregnant woman that had like these big boobs and like this big pregnant belly and I was like, oh, she's like this pregnant goddess and all my friends were like, you are such a freak. And I remember taking my mom, my mom and like giving it to mom being like, look at this beautiful goddess, like one day I'll have her on my desk. And I think my mom eventually threw it away. And I was like, mom, why did you throw away my pregnant woman? And she was like, Dull, it looks like Homer Simpson. Um, because I think like the boobs look like the eyes and the stomach look like Homer's mouth and I was just like, that's so rude. But yeah, it I'm gonna be honest. When I was pregnant, there were times I looked in the mirror and thought I looked like Homer Simpson too. <laughs> so. I look like Homer Simpson every time I'm on the toilet. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty funny now I think back. But I've, I've just always loved pregnant women and loved supporting women. And then I finished school and I started studying nursing and then decided that nursing wasn't really the direction I wanted to go into. I definitely wanted to be a midwife. And at the same time, I was sort of transitioning through a few things in my life and became a Pilates and bar instructor and I mean it all kind of blends towards each other whereas like you know you're supporting and empowering women in this space and just getting them to believe in their own strength and their own abilities and just like reinvigorating some confidence in women which is just what I really love to do so and then halfway through my second year of midwifery I think I remember going into the hospital and like I really love the clinical side of things I really love working as a midwife I love using my brain like that but I've found it really kind of jarring because you learn so much at school about like, you know, woman-centered care and keeping the um, holistic environment and all of those things. And then you go into a hospital and like, you know, women are called patients and you work one-to-one with doctors and it's like just a totally different, it's quite jarring and you don't always get to sort of put into practice what you thought you would be. And so about halfway through my second year, I was kind of like, oh, I really kind of had this vision of working in a really holistic space and that's just not always what the hospital setting looks like. And so I was sort of thinking of ways that I could re-sit in that space of whole, like the holistic care for women and things like that. I think I Googled hypnobirthing because I had heard about it and it could have been anything. Like I could have Googled calm birth. I could have Googled Lamar's. It was just like the first mm-hmm. thing I looked into, booked in for and I just booked in with hypnobirthing Australia and there was a course down in Melbourne. And I sort of did the training thinking it'll help me be able to support women in the birth space more. It'll just teach me more about like, birth preparation and things like that I hadn't really thought about the fact that you finish the course and you're a practitioner and you can teach the course mm-hmm. 
And then I got there and I was like, oh, this is awesome because this basically translates so much of what I learned, like what I've learned as a midwife when I've been studying into like really easy, tangible ways to talk to parents and support parents and help them with the environment of their birth and be able to really support and empower them in a way that's really tangible. I did that training and then finished my studies and then basically started taking on clients just thinking, oh, I'll just like take a client here or there because like that'd be a really lovely way to, you know, spend a little bit of my time. And then I've just been way busier than I had expected. It was never my anticipation to go online. I am such a face-to-face person. I love people and I love touching people and I love being in the flesh. But the way that it kind of happened was that we had to go online. But I really love it. It makes me really happy and I feel like it fills the void that I is missing in my midwifery care in the hospital, which I just really love. I really enjoy and I love the dads. Like I love teaching dads <laughs> as well. It makes me really happy. That's so good. So <clears throat> I'm going to admit just before we even go there, I have had no idea what hypnobirthing is. I just, I, I picture someone with like a dangly thing in front of a pregnant woman. What, clucking like a chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Podcast good, good, good. Yep, done. Can you tell us how does it work and how does it differ from calm birthing? Yeah, so both really good questions. Thank and you. And to be perfectly honest, because I just stepped into doing hypnobirthing, kind of fell into that space, I don't actually know what a calm birth course looks like because I haven't been to one. So I've been to one. So she could well, if you explain it. it, I can jump in where it differs. But I think they have generally similar kind of underlying aims yeah I definitely think that they do I think that calm birth has sort of just been able to reframe it so that people don't get confused about this like hypnosis and things like that but I do think that really the foundations must be quite similar it's just yeah it's just childbirth education with a bit of extra support as far as deep relaxation basically hypnobirthing or the hypnobirthing Australia course that I teach is about a positive birth experience and so it's about a whole host of different things and a whole host of different information to sort of support and educate parents on their journey into parenthood. We do use like hypnosis in a sense that it's deep relaxation basically and teaching you how to get out of your frontal lobe or out of your neocortex and into your instinctual part of your brain or your reptilian brain. So it's just about using deep relaxation basically to get out of your thinking brain and into your being brain because birth is an instinctual act and we don't really need to think about it too much but we live in a society where we do a shitload of thinking um so it's just about sort of bringing you back into your body and really learning to trust the process of what birth is and how beautifully we are made to birth and also like invigorating that confidence back in women so that they really trust their bodies and understand the birth process so basically it's just a deep relaxation technique to help you drop into the birthing space, which means that your body will kind of follow suit. If you can kind of get your mind out of the way, it means that all your hormones can roll in the way that they're beautifully designed to, which means that your body can kind of work in the birth space the way that it's beautifully designed to. And I just give dads and mums lots of tips and techniques to be able to really help them along the journey as far as through their pregnancy, doing all these beautiful things in the evenings to kind of get that beautiful space rolling and be able to use those tools and techniques, listening to tracks and scripts, doing light touch massage, doing lots of beautiful things to sort of get you in a really positive and empowered perspective before you even go into the birth space. Because then the idea is that we've preconditioned you to release lots of beautiful endorphins to help carry you through your birth experience. Gosh, can you, can you do um, hypno parenting? (laughs) Because that would be (laughs) really helpful. 
Imagine that. You're just going to glide the, through the yeah, day. I'd be the calmest person <laughs> on the planet. No, no seriously. Maybe you just come up with a whole new idea. Maybe there's a little bit of a offshoot of a business because you guys aren't busy enough already. Mate. That's you right. We're, tra- we're trademarking it. No one steal it. We're That's trademarking. It. <laughs> Hang on. I'm just opening a chocolate because I'm really, really hungry for sugar. So okay. continue. Okay. Yeah, it does sound really similar, I think, to what I learned in calm birthing. A lot of that, I think that women have kind of learnt to go into birth as a really scary thing. It's really painful. It's awful. It'll be the worst day of your life. Oh, but how great you get a baby at the end of it, that kind of thing. And what I learnt a lot from the course I did was that, no, we're capable. Let's take the fear out of it. You know, let's 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 use some different words. And, yeah, let's really try and get out of that analytical part of our brain and into our trusting yet yeah, being part of our brain. So it does sound quite similar. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, it's really important to note that I guess because I work clinically, I see all different types of birth. And I think that birth can look different for every single person. And it's not so much about everything going perfectly and everything going to plan. What I'm really passionate about is women feeling really empowered in their birth choices and their partners feeling really empowered because then they know what they can say yes and no to and why they might want to say yes or no to it. And just being able to be a real part of their birth journey as opposed to sort of coming in and just feeling like birth happened to them but then they came out on the other side and like, holy shit, we're parents. And also that was really stressful and I didn't really know what happened there. Mm. And now we've got this little baby we've got to look after. There is, you know, so much amazing evidence behind feeling really supported and empowered through your pregnancy and through your birth and feel it and being able to kind of carry that into your parenthood journey, which is like your birth is one thing and it's really, really, really sacred and I am really passionate about holding people's birth space for them. But it also really dictates kind of what flows on to your parenthood mm. journey, which is from there on like that's yeah. within a parent and it's kind of rolling and it's happening and I yeah, I think I've also got a lot of time and space for being able to really support people in the postpartum period as well because then you go into parenthood and you need to be able to advocate for yourself and advocate for your baby. It's kind of like that first big and follow your intuition. And but what if that. you have what if you have like a posterior birth? Like you go in there like, you know, doing hypnobirth and then all of a sudden you have a posterior birth and there's this added extra pain through your spine and you know it, it you know it takes its toll. Can you still continue hypnobirthing or like does that even make it easier or help that circumstance? Can anyone do it? Yes. I think yes and yes and yes. I always say to my parents, I do the course with you can't fail. So it doesn't matter what happens in the birth space. You can't fail at hypnobirthing. It doesn't matter how your birth ends up. What I would rather is that you went in knowing what a posterior labor might look like what are some techniques that you might be able to use? Like for, from my perspective, if your baby's posterior, I'd be like, let's get into the shower. Let's get the shower head on your back. Like, mm. Let's do a little bit of different mobilizing and moving. Be able to kind of work in that space and knowing what's actually physiologically going on in your body mm. and then how we can work with that with the environment. And the course teaches you lots of amazing things that you can you can add into your environment to help you feel really supported. And then if it's that like, you know, I've had a really long early phase of my labor and my baby's posterior and I thought that I was here but I'm actually here and I need something else and, like, let's reach for another tool, whatever that tool might be. Is it sterile water injections? Is it the shower? Is it an epidural? Like it's you can have all of the above and you're still 
get no birth. Okay, cool. It's just, yeah, I guess from my perspective as well, definitely the way that I teach the course is that there are lots of tools that are like non-pharmacological that can help support the birthing environment, help you and the, your birth partner and the dad or whatever to feel really supported in that space. But also knowing that there are lots of other tools out there because we have this amazing modern medicine that we can reach for if we need them. Like yeah. I'm not anti-intervention at all because I work in the birth space and I know what it can look like. And whilst I would love to reduce that intervention wherever I can, I'm also really grateful for it. If I need to hit a buzzer, like I'm hitting that buzzer. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. I think that's so important to say because we actually got a lot of questions in asking, you know, like is hypnobirthing anti-induction? Is it anti-epidural? Is it anti-cesarean? So I think it's really important to say that because I think I think a lot of people fear that if they go down the path of doing a hypnobirthing course, then if things go another way, they've failed. And I did initially after I'd done the calm birthing course, I actually ended up getting induced with both my girls. But when I was getting induced with Poppy and the induction in the end ended up being my decision, I got a bit down on myself and I was going, oh my gosh, you've like done all this work and now you're choosing to be induced and everything's going to go out the window. And then I had to just come back to myself and go, I think it's even more important that I've got these skills now that I'm going to be induced because maybe I need to, yeah, like work that little bit harder to stay positive through it because, you know, there are the stories of it being more painful, And I think that's also, you know, if you do have to have an epidural, you have to have things like that. There is always that time around the transition of birth where something in your mental state, well, for me three times, I'm just like, I give up. I can't do it. Give me anything. I'm just over it. And I think having the hypnobirthing there and, and, you know, continuing that positivity saying, no, 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 you know, it is totally fine to do that. That's not a failure. That would be, well, it would have been a a much nicer ending. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, we just need to teach women to trust themselves more and trust their intuition and trust their instincts. And I try to be really realistic with teaching the course. And so if I often send people to listen to your birth stories on the podcast, because the statistics look like about 40% of low risk women who would otherwise not necessarily need an induction are being induced. We have a high induction rate in our culture at the moment. And whilst I would love for that to be lower for whatever reason, it's not. And so I would rather be teaching women how to work with what the environment looks like at the moment and also know how they can work with their body and work with labor and work with what's physiologically going on, whether that's going into labor spontaneously or working with a, an induction, because an induction can look really different as well. Totally. It's kind of all different problems of an induction. I really try and kind of go off what is normal, what your body does normally and kind of work up from there. And then also go to the point of like, if this is what we reach for, because for whatever reason, the people who are supporting you in the birth space think that it's needed, then how can we work with that? Like, how can we kind of work down that journey of the way that our birth path is going. I really try not to kind of focus on a birth plan. We talk about birth preferences because like birth never goes to plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you sort of feel like something didn't go to plan, then you feel like you might've failed as opposed to like, well, our preference is to go into spontaneous labor. And if that hadn't happened for whatever reason, then our preference would be to make sure that we can access, you know, telemetry monitoring so we can mobilize in the room or access a shower if that's what we want to do or have a choice as to whether or not after my waters are broken, I get to mobilize for an hour before we yeah. put up the drip. Like I just would rather you had your options. So a birth preference looks more like a crazy ass mind map, whereas a birth plan is 
more a let's go step one and then we'll move on to step two, whereas preferences are, okay, well, if that doesn't, yeah, because when I had to get induced, you know, because I was on monitoring, I then couldn't go in the bath and I was like, oh, my gosh, like don't let yourself go down that road of going, okay, you envisaged yourself birthing in the bath, so now that can't happen, so nothing's going to go to plan. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. Just like, well, maybe that has changed, but we can still really honor all of these preferences. And when I did the course, I found there's so many things that are just like, oh, no, dad, like that's just a no brainer of the birth environment, but not everyone knows that. And so there's so many environmental factors, whether that's dimming the lights, having some beautiful music on, having a diffuser on, being able to access like the shower or the water if you can, being able to mobilize, being able to work with the labor that we know really helps women in the birth space. And so often when I was working in birth suite, I would have mums that would come down and I'd be like, hey, honey, like, do we pop some music on? Or like, should we dim the lights? And they're like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, why would we do that? And so I found that I was kind of like, really really try and catch catch them up on how birth can look and what will really help them from a physiological point of view to be able to get into that beautiful birth space. I kind of feel like the course brings them up to speed in, in that they come into the birth space and they already know that they want a, a few things to make them really safe and relaxed. Yeah. I think my husband took that too far because when I was getting induced with Poppy, the obstetrician was about to break my waters and Nick was over with the like electronic diffuser thing, putting essential oils into it and dimming the lights. And my obstetrician actually went to him, hey, mate, like, do you want to maybe come and hold Soph's hand and stop your aromatherapy workshop (laughs) over there in the corner? And he was just like, so like, he was like, okay, so like my job is to like make the space really nice and da, 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 da. But while he was doing that, he forgot to actually like, okay, I'm about to like have my waters broken for the first time ever. Do you reckon you could maybe come hold my hand? I had a, a really good birth with Billy and she's my middle child. And I think it definitely stemmed to the midwife that I had because she did dim the lights. She put on some oil. She actually had a massage oil and my mum and my husband were my birthing partners, but because I had another child, they had to take in turns. So there was a stage where no one was there. So she would literally, she told me to sway my hips in the, in the name of my child or whatever I, you know, wanted it to be. And she would massage the lower of my back. And I tell you what, me standing up, having all that around me, I felt so calm. Even though my birthing partners weren't there, it was such a nice feeling to know that I was feeling supported and that I was comfortable in this nice, I was actually, my head was stuck in a cupboard because that's where I felt comfortable. But, <laughs> you know, everywhere else. Literally was, or, or like in your mind? No, literally. I was, I was in the cupboard. <laughs> my husband walked in and he's like, they're like do you want to get her out of the cupboard and she's like I've tried she just wants to stay there no physically I wanted to be in the cupboard so I just leant over in this cupboard yeah Yeah. no 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 no. it was a real thing did you really like Narnia as a kid or something never seen it never seen it but she ended up just because she wasn't posterior and my other two were unfortunately this one just she just plopped on out and it was an hour and 25 minutes and I feel like positivity 
her being the right way, me standing upright, having all those... Sur- Maybe having your birth partners gone, really. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Actually, my husband two times had fallen asleep in the chair while I've been, you know, having an epidural or having something. And he also got dressed up by the nurse while they were <laughs> killing time. So, yeah. Can anyone do hypnobirthing or is it best if you're kind of the yogi meditator type person? No, anyone can do hypnobirthing, 100%. I think for me, because I was teaching bar and Pilates and I taught a lot of meditation in that, it really married those like mm. loves of mine. But not at all. It's it, the scripts and tracks and things that you listen to are kind of just like you can do things at the same time. Like the hypnosis ones, the idea is that you drop into a really deep relaxation so you're resting in bed or whatever. Um, but, you know, like you might have a light touch or things like that. Like you don't have to like sit and like meditate your baby out. Not at all. Like the whole idea is that you work with the labour. So we're moving and mobilising it. I like it. I like it a lot. And we're still making noise. Like hypnobirthing is not going into yourself. No, well, not the way that I teach it. I don't. I can't speak for everyone. Not and not the way that I was taught with hypnobirthing Australia. We talk a lot about vocalizing because there's so much power and energy. We talk about sending sending your vocalizing down as opposed to like sending it up to the heavens. But I also do that like as a midwife as well. Like if women kind of come in like hysterical and are screaming upwards, I'm like try and send that energy down when mm. because that's where we want to to go and we're kind of wasting it when we send it upward we want it to go down but like all those beautiful big guttural noises like all those primal noises that you make when you're having a baby you're like who the fuck is making that noise (laughs) (laughs) when you're in the other room and you can hear someone that's ahead of you and they're like and you're like oh (laughs) shit i um volunteered in the solomon islands with women giving birth over there and they do not make any noise while they're giving birth and I'd never given birth at that time and thought it was amazing and crazy but now since giving birth I'm like I don't care what kind of willpower you have how the hell did you just silently birth anyway it's actually amazing seeing women from all different cultures birth because like obviously we live in such a multicultural society you see all different women come in and birth and it's amazing some women like <laughs> i walked into a room once and a lady was like lying on the bed and she had like her eyes closed she literally looked like she was on like a sun tanning bed and she was just like dilating and just like flopped over this bed and i was like wow amazing and just very silent and then other women like you know you're moving and working and vocalizing yeah so i moved at I, some point so yeah you move mm. absolutely like it's really primitive should you attend the classes with the support people that you plan on having there with you I definitely think so and I mean at the moment it's tricky because there's you know flying between one support person two support people like I've been in birth with like five support people but at the moment with our current circumstances it's not always a reality for people but I think it's really important to have whoever you want in that birth space to know where you're at and know and to be able to meet you there and support you there. I also really kind of support women in making a really conscious decision about who they take into the birth space um, because you don't want to take people in thinking like, oh, this will be really healing for them and yeah. or this might be really helpful for them to be able to be there or they really want to be mm. there. So like lots of, you know, mums and mothers-in-laws and things like, oh, you know, like mum just assumed it should be there so I could not have her and I'm very much like, only take people into your birth space that you really want in there because and, and are really going to be able to hold that space for you because you can't have anyone else's shit in your birth space. Like, it's yours. Yeah. Yep. Touche. Yeah. I think that it really helped Nick go from a, this is your birth to this is our birth and actually got him excited for it. So I think even though I am medical and I knew a lot about how birth 
happened as much as it was helpful for me I think if anything it was more helpful for him because he would go from going to obstetrician appointments and he would just sit there silently going oh those two have got this like they know what's going on to all of a sudden he was like oh and what do we think will happen if this happens and how's she looking in terms of this and I was yeah. like oh hello you, you you've come to the appointment because, today because Nick was he hadn't any idea about he was I think 22 at the time no Your Nick, idea sorry. yeah my Nick we've both got Nick yeah but my Nick had no idea at the time so of course he's going to sit back and just go well I'm not going to get in the way yeah. if I have no idea because I was screaming half the time so he's like I'm not going to touch you yeah and then the doctor would come in and he'd be like oh well I'm just going to stand here yeah. until I'm needed so and it is it's a very confusing time I guess for the partner to try and understand where and how they can fit into it absolutely it can be hugely overwhelming for partners and I think that's I said it at the beginning like I love teaching the dads of the birth of the birth support people because I feel like they really come into their own once they know about you know how beautifully their loved one is designed to birth and how they can kind of be a part of that process and really support the birthing woman in that space I think they all of a sudden get this confidence of like oh I actually hello, get to be a part of this. And also it's my baby as well. I mean, midwife literally means with woman. And so we are so focused on woman-centered care, but a birth is a family event. And there's so many people who kind of are really invested in that birth. So I really try and bring our dads into that experience and make them feel really loved and involved because it can be so transformative for them as well. And so I, yeah, I love the course in that it teaches it teaches birth support people or dads to be able to really step into their power. And they want to because you're the love of their life. So they want in that birth space to be able to really love and support you and hold you because it can be scary. It can be intense. It can be overwhelming. So they would rather be like, I'm really equipped. I've got all these tools that I can reach for to be able to support her. And like the light touch is working really beautifully at the moment. And I know that when she doesn't want that anymore, I've got the shower up my sleeve. So I'm going to get her in there or we're going to change the track because she really loved this track that we did at home or like, none of that works. I'm just going to find that the midwife shows me that like when she's on the birth ball and rocking her hips like this and I'm just in the corner, that's really good as well. So it's like being able to give you lots of different options to be able to support you in there because it, it's, it's, it's a huge experience for all of you. So yeah. And I think sometimes really if you want- wait till the birthday, it's a bit late because as a woman going through that I mean, no, if you have a really supportive midwife who shows you different techniques, maybe it's not too late. But I feel like if you're relying on the mother on the day to tell you what she wants, like you've got a lot going on. It's really hard to, it's kind of like if you're waiting for a mother of a newborn to tell you what they need from you. Like sometimes you just have to give things a go as the birth support person. Have a crack. And yeah, so if you've got those tools up your sleeve, you're able to just give things a go and things that you thought would work maybe make the woman want to hurl but you know at least you've got those things to to go through because I think if in the throes of birth if someone asks you what you want a lot of the time all you want is to just not be let me give let me give you a little example very quickly I remember with my first birth Mia was posterior and I was eight centimetres dilated and it was just absolutely excruciating. Mid-contraction, I hear my mum say to my husband, hey, I'm going to go to the canteen. Do you want a chicken sandwich or a ham and cheese sandwich or do you want, Jay, do you want an a eye? meat pie? <laughs> and the way, in my head, in the way, like I was in so much pain and all I could hear was this slow 
questioning about fucking lunch <laughs> and I <laughs> lost my shit. I screamed at them, told them to get out and, oh, my God, she's ne- <laughs> she, the last two times she never, ever did that again. But, oh, my goodness, it was yeah, but 100%, not cool. And I- it's not on. Like I say to parents, we don't want any unnecessary chatter in the birth space. And if we go back into that birth being an instinctual act, we need to be in that instinctual part of our body. You don't want to be asked any questions. That's the no, whole point. No, never. That you want to be able to stay in the body and stay in the being space. And so if it's such a good relation to like a, a newborn mum who's at home, she doesn't want you to come in and be like, hey, like, do you want me to hang the washing out? Yeah. Or should I back? Or should I hold the baby so you can have a shower? It's just like, what's in front of you right now and so that's what I also teach in the course is like sometimes you've actually just got to kind of work on the fly because things might change in the birth space and that's okay too but nobody knows that person as well as you do like nobody knows your birthing partner and your baby as well as you do so trust yourself and your little family unit as well. I think that there's two forms of mums some mums who think that they want to go into birth you know ignorance is bliss and some that want to know all the things do you think that it's always an advantage to know things when it comes to birth or do you think that truly ignorance is bliss is best for some people I I can't I don't know I honestly have no idea because I think each individual is so Mm. different from my perspective as someone who's educated in the space I would rather you knew I would rather you knew your options sometimes I wish I didn't know as much as I know like (laughs) when it comes to me having a baby like watch this space we're gonna have to work back from there but you know I do feel like it's good to know what your options are because otherwise you can have that experience where you just sort of feel like birth happened to you and you didn't know Mm. what things happened to you or people did things to you that you didn't want them to or whatever. But for some people, and it's it's their personal preference that they would rather go in without having any idea, that's their personal preference. At the end of the day, what my job is, is to be able to support you in whatever your personal preference is. If your personal preference is as soon as I feel a niggle, I want to come in and I want to go into the birth suite and I want an epidural, I'd be like, well, if that's what you want and we can facilitate that, that's what I'll do. That's Mm. my job is to support you whatever that is that you want and need. I would just rather know that you knew that the moment that you had that epidural, it means you're on the bed. So if you kind of thought that you might have used the shower as mm. well, you're not going to be able to do that once you're on the once you've had an epidural. Like I'd rather you just knew your options yeah. because otherwise we're not really making informed choices, mm. and it's really important to be able to kind of give consent to things in the best. Yeah, best. totally. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's personal preference, and I think often sometimes women go in for their first birth and think I'm just going to wing it. Whatever happens in there happens. I, I kind of makes me a bit sad when I hear women say, "Oh, like you're the professionals, like you know best," because I feel like we have a bit of this cult of the expert of like I'll just hand my power over to you because you know what you're doing and I don't. And I mean, it's your birth, it's your body, it's your experience. At the end of the day, it's not my experience. I get to be there and hold that space for you. But I would rather. Yeah, you kind of trust it in yourself as well as trusting in the people who are there to support you because I think that's going to kind of lead to a more positive experience, hopefully. I might have a um, but- fourth child so I can try hypnobirthing. Mm. I'll put it on Gumtree. <laughs> on Gumtree. <laughs> For sale. For free. Yeah, I'll put her at the front. Put her at the front because it would be a fourth girl. <laughs> when should someone start and what are ways they can access the classes? So I generally think a good time to start is between 26 to 28 weeks because it kind of gives you enough time before you most likely have your baby um, to be able to put 
all of the tools and tricks kind of into practice and do your own extra research as well. So yeah, 26 to 28 weeks is generally when I suggest. So at the moment, I'm just offering a one-to-one and I really love that because I get to know people really well and get to know each individual dad and what, you know, is in the way for them or what they're really looking forward to. So yeah, I can support them really individually, but the course is designed to be done in a group setting as well. So lots of the other practitioners teach it in a group, which I think is wonderful as well. And you can do it online and you can do it in person and you can do, like I now do often a combination of online and face-to-face with my couples if they're local. The Hypnobirthing Australia course as well has an online course literally designed by Melissa that you can sign up and do just online, which is basically through her rather than going through a practitioner. So there are different options. I was just going to say before we were talking about ignorance is bliss and going into the birth space. I feel like often people with their first babies will have, you know, go in and not kind of educate themselves, but then often the second time around, they realize that lots of things were up to them to make those decisions. And perhaps they didn't realize that before they went into the birth for the first time. So then often with second-time parents and as a midwife, I'd experience that with second-time parents, people just come in with this new confidence and perhaps they've done a little bit more research or looked into it a little bit further than they had the first time because they've gone through that space, the birth space and that ritual of having a beautiful birth and a baby and then coming out on the other side and being like, oh, it's actually my job to advocate for this mm. little person, which means it's my job to advocate for me. So at the end of the day, the person who knows best is me and my partner. So, yeah, I feel like often people might not feel like they want to get super educated with their first birth and often it's their second birth that they really kind of jump into. Would hypnobirthing be helpful if you were having a planned caesarean? Yeah, I think so. Hypnobirthing Australia has a like a planned caesar course. I mm. haven't taught it yet. I haven't done the training in it, but you can sign up with other practitioners to do like a hypnobirthing caesarean course. And do you know what types of things they cover in that? Is it about like setting up the space and that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So it's lots of the environmental factors. So like having the lights dimmed if possible, still doing delayed cord clamping if possible, facilitating that immediate skin to skin if you can. All of those things mm. that are really pretty simple. You know, like some obstetricians will be really happy to put tracks on in the theatre to be able to have that playing over and things like that. So it's just being able to kind of bring all those beautiful little things into that space because, you know, it's your birth and being able to support that as much as we can. And then being able to kind of keep the dyad together as much as possible. So whether that's mum and baby or mum, uh, baby and dad. Things that maybe you didn't realise were possible in that space, but really are, you just have to ask for them. Yeah, you can just ask, yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I would rather you ask than didn't ask. And does hypnobirthing decrease the chances of requiring pain relief or caesarean? I don't know the statistics. I feel like if you go into the birth space knowing what your options are, you're better off. And also if you've got things that you can use in lieu of that, then you're better off as well. So I would always say that if you have that education, you're setting yourself up beautifully to be able to work with your labour and birth as best you can. And also knowing that there are things that we can kind of do or avoid to be able to facilitate a really positive birth experience and being able to really work with the body and with the birth. Yes, in short, but I couldn't give you like statistically, this is what it looks like. Yeah. How do you stay in that hypno deep relaxation state and avoid distractions? Yes, good question. So that's what was funny about Jay talking about her mum before is that there's a lot of pre-work that we do that we 
put into place before we go into the birth space so we're not kind of leaving things up to like, oh, we'll just see how it goes on the day. We know that we're going to reduce that like chatter and things like that. We're not having unnecessary conversations in a birth space. It's really disrespectful <laughs> to the birthing. Um, like for Jade, that was super frustrating for you, Jade, and I can see why because you're in this really intense space of working with your body and working with labour and when people are having really trivial conversations yes. around you, it's so irking. So things like that is just like we, we teach that in the course so that you go into the birth space and know that this is why we don't do that. One thing for me was turning the clock around so that I wasn't distracted by watching how long I'd been in labour for. That was really, really helpful for me. Yeah, the clock is a really good one because time is so fluid and with a labouring woman you really see that time can be so distorted An hour can feel like five mm. minutes and five minutes hour so trying to avoid the clocks and I think that's what's hard about hospitals is we run on time you know we run to um everything is done this many hours and we do obs every four hours and we do checks every this and this and that so you can obviously decline anything that you wanted to to decline time-wise but then it's also just good to kind of let go of time because every woman is going to birth differently on a different time schedule so I think it is Mm, tricky it's an important one I think Going back to getting like staying in that really good zone, we do lots of preconditioning or practicing to be able to drop into that deeper relaxation state throughout your labor and your birth. And we also have our preferences that we have in place in that no one's just going to come into the room unnecessarily. We had the lights down low. We've got some um, like a diffuser going and things like that to be able to really preserve that space. Mm. And then I also talk about, you know, using earphones if you want to throughout phases in your labor. So often if you're transitioning from home through the car to the hospital that's a really good time to pop some earphones in and listen to your tracks or listen to your own playlist then things like that that just you've got little bite-sized bits that you can reach for as you go along and also sometimes we need to have conversations with a birthing woman if I can avoid it I'm going to have a conversation with her birth partner because I know that he or she knows all of their preferences but if there's something that I need to get consent from a woman from or whatever once we have done that, we just do everything we can to get her back into that labouring space. And that's what the birth support people are there for is like, okay, maybe we've had a bit of a rush. A whole lot of people have come into the room as sofa balls at the meerkat method, which I love. So, um, <laughs> when the wrong buttons hit. It's so funny though, because it's so true. Like everyone's there so quickly and then everyone's gone. And everyone's like, oh. <laughs> like in a maternal emergency we have them quite often they happen quite quickly but then it can de-escalate really quickly as well so once it has de-escalated hopefully we can just ramp up all those environmental factors to get her back into that really good space is that jumping back into the shower is that yeah turning the clock around changing the music whatever she needs to be able to kind of work with that space and I think also deciding, I think it depends on the person and I guess what the answer is, but deciding if you actually want them to tell you how many centimetres you are when you get checked. I stupidly said yes both times, even though I was disappointed. And then in hindsight, the measurement didn't mean anything because I dilated mm. within five, 15 minutes both times. But even the second time, I I know actually I said to my midwife the second time, I said, only tell me if you think it's going to be helpful. Then she didn't tell me, so I was like, well, <laughs> you kind of may as well have told me because <laughs> I know it's not a good thing. But both times it didn't mean much anyway because then I just dilated. But I think that 
like sometimes the centimeters and stuff, it's just sometimes leave it up to the health professionals to know where you're at with that because they've seen enough that it means something to them. I feel like to us, it's just like it's on a spectrum of zero to 10 and you assume that, you know, you dilate consistently throughout the whole labor, which is just so not the case. So, you know, I was like, well, if I'm five centimeters, then I'm only halfway, but really I was 99% of the way there. Yes, and I have absolutely seen that happen. And I think as well, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes, you know, you assess a woman and you're like, oh, five centimetres, beautiful, got a bit of time, do this, do that, whatever. And then, like, bam, I have seen that happen. She dilates really quickly and all of a sudden we're having a baby and she catches everyone by surprise. And yeah. that's, the beauty, that's the beauty of the birth space and I think that's what I love about it so much is, like, actually at the end of the day we might think that we know certain things we might have seen things a certain amount of time and we might know that oh well generally with first time moms it's your longest labor and blah 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 but at the end of the day each individual birth is different and each individual woman and baby is different like I always have dad say to me like okay so like from now what time do you think we're going to have the baby (laughs) I just laugh I'm like girls I have no idea like honestly I have no idea the dilatation is a big one, Soph, because it is one of the things that we measure as health professionals. But when we look at dilatation, we look at the length of the cervix, the softness of the cervix, how far back the baby's head is in the pelvis. There's a whole lot of other factors that we look at as well as like how dilated she is. But we get really focused on that number. And it's just one of a whole clinical picture that sometimes means nothing at all anyway. And so, yeah, I think it's good to kind of let go of that as much as as we can. And it's funny that you say about the only tell me if you think it's a good thing is because I think we either have to go down the track of don't tell me or do tell me. Because (laughs) like if we go in between, which I like, I have said to parents before, oh yeah, like that sounds like a good idea. Like, yeah, if you want to find out, then like if it sounds like something you want to know, then I'll tell you. But then when I don't tell you, it's like, oh, we really fucked that up because now now you're disheartened anyway like it's kind of illogical so I think choosing to have an examination or not is your choice choosing to find out or not is your choice some people want to know the whole way through because they can kind of mentally process but then often it doesn't necessarily dictate exactly where you're at what are some of the top tips for dealing with pain and contractions during birth beautiful in the course, we teach you a whole lot of different deep relaxation techniques to be able to deal with contractions. Um, so, like, we have tracks and scripts and things that you can listen to as you're building up through your labour. When you go into spontaneous labour, it depends. Each woman is different, so sometimes it can kind of start slowly and build and sometimes women kind of drop into rip-roaring labour really quickly. So it depends on each individual woman. Um, but breath is a really fantastic tool and I guess from my background in teaching viral Pilates I used to work with the breath all the time so it just translated really beautifully into working with women in labor and before I had done the hypnobirthing course that I would just be working with women in the birth space you can like intuitively I would be kind of getting women to focus their breath and be able to drop back into their breath and you can just see everything in their body changes um, when they work with their breath really beautifully I mean from a physiological point of view it makes sense because you're oxygenating your body and your baby and things but then also it gives women a rhythm and something to work with and something to focus on and we so in the course we teach diaphragmatic breathing which is basically nasal breathing breathing in and out through the nose we know that when we do our diaphragmatic breathing 
we relax our nervous system. So we like drop into our parasympathetic nervous system, which helps our whole body to soften and relax. And basically we want to let go of any tension in our body when we're in labor and soften and relax. So our breath is a really useful tool. And we also talk a lot about, so the main hormones of our labor that I, I really focus on is endorphins, thinking about oxytocin and how we can facilitate oxytocin and a little bit of adrenaline so the endorphins and the oxytocin are like our really beautiful birth hormones that we want to work with really generously in labor I guess and if you think about it sort of the same hormones that we work with when we're having sex so oxytocin is the hormone that you release when you have a really awesome orgasm and basically what I say to parents is when we're working in the birth space even though birth doesn't feel sexual when you're birthing Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Never do that to me again. But you're like essentially we want to create the same environment that you would to make a baby, to birth a baby. Um, you would be less likely to, you know, hop onto a hospital bed if a whole lot of people were around you with clipboards and with a timer watching you with the lights on and just said like just actually you and dad just get naked and just jump on there and have have a quick sesh for me and we'll just time you and see how long it takes for you to have an orgasm and reach a climax and we'll just see how we go you'd be like well probably not like I don't know I'm sure that one day I'll find someone who's like that is my fetish. That is my greatest fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting I'm waiting to say that to a couple they'll be like well um, well, they would great. probably birth beautifully in a sterile <laughs> hospital room then. So to work with the contractions, we really want to work with those hormones. So it goes back to all the environmental factors of making it feel really safe because if that oxytocin is releasing, oxytocin actually makes us feel really good and it's what carries our contractions and carries those surges through our body. And then if we kind of meet those oxytocin and strong surges with endorphins, those beautiful feel-good hormones, your body can kind of carry you through your labour and the intensity of your labour. I kind of love that like oxytocin gets you into that situation and then it's got to get you out of it too. (laughs) It's like fucking oxytocin. And the big T, how do we know that we're transitioning and how on earth do we deal with it? The big T, I love that. I'm going to call it that now. So transition is interesting because each woman transitions differently. Often you will transition and I guess for anyone who's listening who might not know, transition is when you sort of go from a phase of active labour and working with the labour to being ready to bear down or being ready to push. So there's this little time in between a transition where your body gets ready and gears up to be able to birth your baby. From a physiological point of view, the reason why you get that rush is because you get a rush of adrenaline, which is to essentially help birth your baby and help with the birth ejection reflex. So to bring your baby down and have the energy to be able to birth your baby. So that's why we get that rush of adrenaline. But with that rush of adrenaline comes those feelings of doubt, being afraid Mm. uh, or certain things that you didn't know that you would want. That's when women ask for epidurals. That's when like women say, the damnedest things. Women are literally hilarious when they transition sometimes. And then sometimes they're in their own mind and you don't even know that they're transitioning. But I've literally had women say, like, I've been in the shower with women and I've heard it be like, to her husband, like, babe, get my thumbs, like, we're going. Like, I'm ready to go. I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> and I just remember, like, looking at the other midwife that I was working with and I was like, what do we do? And she was like, honey, it's fine. Like, let's just change our position because I think we're probably going to have a baby pretty soon. And like from a midwifery perspective, if you've got another midwife in the room, you kind of look at each other like so smug because you're like, she's transitioning. I know what's happening. But for the woman, she's going through this massive of adrenaline that feels really frightening because you know that, holy shit, I'm about to birth a baby and bring a baby. But you don't know 
You think it's just going to no, go on forever. No, but you, it sort of comes to a halt, though, What were your well. transitions well, like? Well, so with Yumi, because she's my most recent one, I remember that I was, after the bath, after everything, I was pushing and, and the, so, yeah, I was like grunting, grunting, contraction, contraction, and then all of a sudden I had this thing where everything stopped, the contractions stopped, I was just like, what are we even doing here? Like, I feel like, I honestly felt like, yeah, maybe maybe we'll come back tomorrow because I'm tired. I'm really tired. I'm a bit over this. And the midwife was like, look, I disagree. I think that it is time and you're probably about to have a baby. But because the pain was so bad with the um, posterior, that is when, because I knew, I knew the difference between posterior and a normal birth, that's when I made the decision to say, I'm having an epidural now. I'm not going through this. I am not going through this like I did last time. And I made that decision myself, which was so, I just, I was proud of myself because I didn't want to um and ah something that I already knew that was just going to be hard work. So I did, you know, after trying, pushing and blah, 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 I had an epidural and then, yeah, it took some time, but yeah, then she popped her little head out. Yeah, and I think that that's so good to know, Jade, and good for people to hear because people say to me all the time, when is it too late for me to have an epidural? And, I mean, from a midwifery perspective, it will get to a stage when you're in the room with a woman and she might ask for an epidural and I'm like, well, it's too late. Not that it's too late. It's just because we're going to have a baby before you you get that epidural in time and, you know, you're already there. But then I also have seen women who have really precipitous labours and come down and really want that epidural and need that epidural for themselves and they can like they can wait like for you jade you waited obviously totally. until you were and and so i say to women at the end of the day it's actually really never too late i mean the reason why we say it's too late is because you might not be able to hold still for long enough or you might have a baby before you get the epidural but in which case like we've skipped it and we didn't need it for the second one often if you really want it you are going to hold still i've seen women hold still for the epidural so well, this- i just like to like that out yeah well, the second one's like- exactly what happened to me because the only reason I wanted the epidural is because I was transitioning and my Nick still tells me to this day that he picked my transition and he thinks he should be a mid-husband because yeah I had not mentioned it the whole time then all of a sudden I was like get me an epidural and they yeah, checked me right. and they were like well you're only feeling like this because you're about to have a baby and I was so and I with Billy had I was I thought I was giving birth and they were like no 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 you're doing you're doing a poo I went to the toilet and they're like oh no 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 you are giving birth stand up and then that it all started happening and that's when she came out so it's so interesting I, every single pregnancy is different mm every time totally and often women retrospectively they'll look back and be like I realized then I was transitioning and so sometimes as a midwife we know because the clinical picture fits as in you know she was seven centimeters earlier and now she's all of a sudden asking for things or things have changed and so we can see clinically that it makes sense that she's transitioning and sometimes it's things that she says and sometimes it's like physical signs that she's transitioning as well like women get sometimes get a purple line along their back and like from basically the base of their bottom up wow. it shows that they're really dilated and things like that. So you can see things as well to know that. Like the head possible. out of the vagina. That's a good, that's a good sign. <laughs> like, a baby, like a baby dropping out of you. Oh, probably was a transition. And I think so, also um, my moans really changed both times. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't realise in the first one, but Nick in the second one goes, no, these were the sounds she started making. Like she, there's, there's, this is, this is coming, get her off the floor because we're about to have a baby on the floor. 
sounds different. And that's so funny because one of the reasons why I called woven woven is because midwives, like ancient midwives, used to like knit or sew in the birth space to keep their hands busy so they wouldn't interrupt the birthing process. And they used to face away so they could listen and listen to the sounds of the woman and know that when her sounds changed, that was when she kind of might need a different some assistance or some support. So that's why one of the reasons why I called Woven Woven, and it's so true, is because when you kind of take pull back and have a look at what birth is and like how primitive it is, there are really obvious, amazing signs that we can kind of look out for to see that a woman is in that space and might need some extra support. And so going back to tips for transition, and really it's for birth partners as opposed to for women because for women in that birth space, you couldn't really tell someone anything because they don't know how to experience transition. Like I can say to you, like, you know, you will go through a phase that feels really frightening and physiologically you're getting that big rush of adrenaline. It's because you're about to meet your baby and you need to have lots of energy to bear down. And then it means that you're really alert and awake when you meet your baby, which is really wonderful. But I think when you're feeling transition, it doesn't really matter that I've told you that previously because at the time Absolutely. you're in the zone, you're in a laboring space. But I think for support people, that's when it's really important. And I say this to dads or mums or like support people in general. And as a midwife, that's when, you know, you want to be there with that woman and holding her hands and being right there with her and saying, you are doing so well. You are already there. Like all that beautiful positive reinforcement because your confidence at that point can be really low mm. because you're exhausted, you've worked really hard, and you're, you're having this big surge of hormones that's making you feel like quite afraid. And so you just need to be really held in that space. And it might not be physically held because you might not want to be touched. But <laughs> you, like when I say to birth partners, like this is when you need to be like, I'm really proud of you. I love you so much. You are doing so well. You've already done this. Like really get in there with that woman. But do you want a ham sandwich? Yes. <laughs> but do you want chicken or ham? No, I remember with, with Yumi, the her head, because she was like coming out of a posterior position, her head was like stuck on like I guess, oh, I don't know, some area down there and she wouldn't her head would go out every time I'd push and then it would suck right back in and it happened about four or five times and the only thing that got me through was the midwife and my husband saying to me you have got this it is so close you have just got to keep pushing you're doing so well and because I kept on having that I'm like no 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 I can do this after I gave birth, the midwife said, if you if you didn't push the, like, those last two pushes, we would have given you an emergency C-section. So it was all about everyone supporting me in that time, getting me through, really? and she was able to come out. So I I love hypnobirthing. I can't believe you're considering another baby. <laughs> I'm fucking not. I'm definitely not. <laughs> but if you want me there for yours and you want Nick to, like, stay outside, I can be there for you asking what you want. No, you're not Ham asking sandwich, me what I oh, chicky, yeah. <laughs> curried egg. Why is there an egg sandwich in the four triangles and a tuna sandwich? Sorry, we need to do a different episode on hospital food. That is a different No, okay, different I thing. have just birthed a child or I'm in the throes of oh, labour where if you give me a cracker, I will vomit. Why in the four triangle sandwiches is there a tuna and a curried egg? It's like, disgusting. please. Yeah. I just I it's can't have anything. Go and get me Maccas. Go get me Maccas, no way. Yeah. Okay, last question. Tips on how to push and how to get through the ring of fire. A burning ring of fire. Burn, or do you just have burn. to do it? Stay calm. We, Carry on. Yeah. 
they can't. We, like the hypnobirthing talks about bearing down rather than bushing and breathing your baby out. And the reason why we talk about that is like World Health Organization now recommends not pushing. What? I said inverted commas, pushing, because if, if we kind of work with our body mm. and work with breathing our baby down or bearing down behind our baby as opposed to pushing and those pushing prompts that like, I mean, I've done as a midwife as well because if a woman's had an epidural, sometimes you kind of need to be pretty directive with your coaching but if a woman is able to like work with what's physiologically going on with her body she should be able to kind of bear down behind the baby's head so what we talk about is like breathing down behind your baby to help them ease out into the world and I tell women to practice it when they're going to the toilet Mm -hmm. so like really (laughs) relaxing down into your body and because it does feels like you're doing the biggest absolutely and that's where we want you to bear down or to push into is like you're sitting on the toilet because we've never pushed into our vagina before like why would we push into our vagina but we do push into our bottom and it works on all the like it's all the same nerve endings that are being pressed when your baby's working down that birth canal so I talk yeah I teach people about using their breath so sending that like directed breath down behind their baby and drawing that energy down behind the baby as they come through the perineum also with your support people or your birth keepers or your whoever's there your midwife your obstetrician looking after you for the birth will most likely have their eyes on your perineum and sort of be supporting you or when i say perineum people do, do you reckon everyone knows what a perineum no. is that's basically the bottom of like the base the of your vagina and your yeah that little space that little pocket um, is what we want to protect you from tearing and so from that perspective we that's why like the gentle guided bearing down is kind of more optimal than pushing because we can use our body and like just gently draw that baby out into the world and your baby like when you were talking before Jade about was it Yumi that was rocking yeah rocking back so that's just so clever she's so clever she was just gently rocking (laughs) rocking through your pelvis to help soften the perineum and so that's really normal we see them like rock forward and rock back and rock forward and rock back and then their head sort of gets to a point where they start to gently nudge against that perineum and that's when it starts to feel like jesus christ this so full on and that is often when women just want to go like oh and just burp that whole head but what we try and really gently guide them is just to breathe the baby out because we want to protect your perineum like we really want to keep that i want you to protect my perineum as well that back and forth is so that back and forth is so cruel though because you feel like you've literally put every ounce of your soul being spirit body into that push and then you just feel it go back up and you're like no 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 no, come back come back and you think like holding it will make you yeah. like push it out yeah so then often it gets to a stage and I mean each woman is different but you know you rock forward rock back rock forward and then you can kind of hold that pressure there which is then when that baby sort of gently is what I talk about guides its little head over that perineum and then slowly brings their head out and then obviously there's space and time between them rolling their head from side to side so whichever side they go to and restituting and then birthing their little shoulders but it, it is I do talk about the breath a lot because I think that if you're using your breath you're staying calm which is helping you to open up um, if we can mobilize as much as we can to use gravity that's what I would help do to help with pushing or bearing down and listening to whoever's there with you to be able to support you but also knowing and trusting your body and your baby your body and your baby work really beautifully together so you're designed to birth that beautiful baby so good and last but definitely not least how do people get in contact with you my instagram is lillian.beth l-i-l-l-i-a-n dot b-e-t-h 
So you can just send me a DM or my website is www.wovenwomen.com.au. And we'll link Um, it all in the show notes. That's me basically. So good. Thank you so much for taking the time. I think you've debunked a lot of misconceptions about hypnobirthing and given people a lot of information to see if it's something they would maybe like to explore more or even take some of these general tips into their birth. I think even if they weren't to do the course, I think that you've, you know, given us so much information that that is really, really helpful. From my perspective, I would always just recommend doing something. So whether that's your own personal research, like I send everyone to listen to Australian birth stories. I send people to listen to this podcast. If you're not going to do a course, do some sort of education so you feel like you know a little bit before you go into the birth space. And there are lots of amazing courses out there that really support and empower you and your partner to be able to go into your birth. So whatever it is that you choose is what I would support. Legend. Thank you so much, Lil, for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, girls. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.